welcome uh, everyone uh, to this uh, special Christmas edition of the uh, BJGP uh, podcast. Uh, my name is Andrew Papanikitas, uh, and today uh, I'm here with a little bit of role reversal going on here, and Ewan is looking confused, uh, with uh, editor, uh, BJGP editor uh, Ewan Lawson, uh, 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 associate editor Nada Khan, uh, and Ben Hoban, who has uh, been writing uh, fairly consistently and, and uh, coherently, I must say, for uh, BJGP Life. And the challenge that uh, I set us all was to bring a book to discuss, book club style. Um, the idea, the idea being that this should be the kind of book that one might find uh, in a Christmas stocking, or perhaps be sort of sticking in a coat pocket uh, to 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 while away the journeys, or to read by the fire, whatever 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 mean you choose. This is a the, the little Christmas book is a little bit of a phenomenon in the bookshops. Um, if you sort of wander into any sort of any sort of big or small bookshop, you'll you'll see little piles of them uh, by the tills uh, or or sort of uh, sort of there to, to sort of uh, as the as the, the perfect uh, Christmas gift for that person who you don't know uh, or for that person who you do know. Um, and I, I think sometimes these things can be quite undersold. Um, so they can they can vary from sort of comedy to literature. And we've got a, a lovely spread. Um, so I think what we might do um, is, well, I might sort of uh, uh, pick on people individually and, and perhaps even sort of do a range from from classic to contemporary so that means of course ben that i'm picking on you first what what uh, stocking filler have you brought for us today and why thanks so i've chosen a christmas carol by charles dickens and the main reason is it's just a a great read it's a, a classic feel-good christmas story and even if people have read it before or maybe seeing it adapted for the screen. Um, it, it's great to, to come back to it. It's not long, and it'll really put you in the mood for Christmas. So the the, the story is set in Victorian London, um, and the protagonist is uh, a businessman called Ebenezer Scrooge. He's successful, but basically a pretty unpleasant sort of person and uh, a terrible miser. And Dickens describes him uh, in, the, in the following words. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck at generous fire. Secret and self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. So he's a, he's a thoroughly unpleasant character. And Dickens illustrates that for us at the, the, the start of the, the narrative by having him um, throw out some, um, some well-wishers at Christmas who are coming around to make a collection for, for the poor, um, for, for charity. Um, he terrorises his clerk at work and uh, refuses him a little bit of extra coal to put on the fire in the office. And when his nephew who is his only family in the world, comes round to invite him to, to Christmas dinner the next day. Um, he 
doesn't want anything to to do with it. And so he shuts up the office on Christmas Eve, goes home to to his lodgings to have his his uh, his pan of gruel, and has an unexpected visit from the the ghost of his former business partner Jacob Marley. And Marley is suffering in the afterlife. He's weighed down with with chains. It's punishment for the the kind of life that that he lived and that Scrooge is now living as well. And he warns him that he's on borrowed time and that he's really only got one last chance to make amends and to, to turn his life around. And as part of that last chance, he tells him he's going to be visited by, by three ghosts. Um, and how he responds to them will we'll tell all. So then we have visits from the, the ghost of Christmas past, ghost of Christmas present, and Christmas yet to come. And they, they show him a bit about his own life uh, as a child and as a, a young adult. Um, they, they show him a little bit of what Christmas means to, to other people. And they show him the future as well, and um, rather a grim one as he uh, he stands in front of his own tomb and um, there's no one to, to mourn him. And as we see Scrooge go through those visions, uh, we, we do see a transformation. He he goes from the, the, the hard-hearted miser we see him at the start um, to, to somebody who thinks actually maybe there is more to Christmas and to life. And... Maybe he he hasn't got it all, and maybe he doesn't want to die alone after all. And so then on Christmas morning, he he wakes up a changed man, rushes out into the street, um, grabs the the people who are collecting for the poor early and makes a, a huge donation, um, gets hold of a massive turkey to send round to um, his clerk's house, and goes along to to his nephew's for for dinner after all. So it's, it's a lovely heartwarming story. Um, but what's interesting is that Dickens originally wrote it to raise awareness of child poverty in um, Victorian England. Um, and there's certainly some evidence that the the story increased the level of charitable giving by individuals, um, which was what Dickens intended. It, it's also, I think, interesting that it was written in 1843, which puts it about halfway between two of the big pieces of legislation that set up general practice um, on a on a sound legal footing. So the, the Apothecaries Act of 1815 and the, the Medical Act of 1858. And j- just as in the, the story, you see the, the narrative arc of Scrooge's life. Um, so on BJGP Life, we, we've, I think, had lots of contributions looking at the the origins of general practice, where we are now as GPs, and where the future might lie for us. And certainly in a very general sense, I think perhaps the, the message there from A Christmas Carol um, is that if the future is heading in a direction that you don't like, the the present is the, the time to, to try and change that. Thanks, Ben. And, and uh, actually, you, you, you managed to... Um... To, sh- to shine a light that that I hadn't uh, I hadn't actually considered in terms of the, the sort of the shape of, of general practice within society itself. I was just going to ask um, you and Nada. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm presuming that you've come across a Christmas Carol uh, in some form or other, 
at you and is basically shaking his head there. Um, but I was just wondering how the, how the narrative speaks to you uh, in any way. Yeah, I don't know. It's just so it's such a well-worn story. There's a couple of things I should say that we um, in 2018, Peter Aird, as a GP, wrote for BJGP Live quite a lot. Wrote a five-part kind of GP version of a Christmas Carol, a BJGP Christmas Carol, and it's been sitting on BJGP Live for these all these years. It's well worth a well worth a revisit to anybody that's interested. I actually. I mean, there's one thing is I've just cursed me. I don't think I've actually ever read Dickens, if I'm honest. And even Christmas Carol, which is obviously one of the shorter, which is, you know, it's no great big doorstopper. I don't think I've ever read it. And I suspect a lot of the joy of Christmas Carol might, and Dickens is in the, is actually getting, is enjoying the reading as well. But obviously the the kind of, the wider morality, the wider story of it, I think it's all, it's, all, it's you know, we can always, um, it's a very personal thing, the interpretation, isn't it? I think, um, and I think Ben makes some very good points about how we think about the future of general practice. And um, Peter certainly, I remember in his article back in 2018, his our series of articles, and it made a lot of points. And it couldn't have imagined perhaps where we even five years later we were in crisis then in general practice. And by goodness, I'm not sure we could have foreseen quite where the last five years would have taken us pandemic and really just deepened in a way that wouldn't have even begin to occur to us. Um, and um, it's quite sobering, even just look, thinking back over those few years and all we've been through these last four or five years in terms of the change um, and the position we find ourselves in. Um, a message of hope. God bless us all, every one of us, as they say, I believe, because I know Christmas Carol well enough for that, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but perhaps I'll leave it at that. No, are there any thoughts? Yeah, I Thanks, think Ian. I think what Ewan said about, you know, we take each a personal message away from a story like this because it's such a well-worn story. And this theme of child poverty, I was listening to the radio today about um, baby banks and mums and families who are impoverished and needing supplies for their babies having to go to banks for nappies baby clothes things like that so this is a a story that i think is still ringing true now and if not now more than ever really but i was just chuckling at the beginning of ben's description of the description of scrooge and thinking about <laughs> how that might relate to various politicians or health secretaries in today's world as well but i just thought that those descriptions certainly do <laughs> do yeah. run true to, yes. today as well people so. who ordered children's murals to be um, <laughs> taken away from um immigrant reception centers yeah, mm. yeah. I, I, I don't dare start on the political side because i may never stop yeah. <laughs> um so that's why I, did, I was careful not to embark on it Sorry. Well, without without getting into specifics, though, um, I mean, there's a there's a there's a wonderful sort of sort of sort of political sort of social historical sort of train spotters fascination with um, a, a Christmas cow. You know, right at the beginning there, there's a there's a reference to Thomas Malthus. You know, he when people come collecting, Scrooge suggests that you know it's it's right and proper that the poor should starve because that will decrease the surplus population. You know, it's a, a reference to the kind of sort of quasi-scientific rhetoric sort of promulgated by people generally who were fairly comfortably well, well off that, that 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 absolved them of any need to help any any people 
um, who weren't. And then there's all the sort of the personal stuff, you know, the idea of personal redemption um, and, and, and that idea of sort of coming back from a, from a position of abject misery. And almost the the anti Scrooge is, is 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 sort of the the, the character in um, I think it's called the Greatest Wish, the, the the little book that was subsequently made into It's a Wonderful Life. The guy who is sort of miserable because essentially the universe seems to hate him, but he spent his entire life helping everybody. Um, and an angel sort of shows the op- again opposite of a ghost. I've never thought of these two as being complete polar opposites. Um, you know, it shows him what the world would look like without him in it. Um, you know, again, almost like the opposite of the the ghost of Christmas future. Um, I and, should say, uh, it's, I've been trying to interrupt. I just want to. Yeah. Make, it's a wonder. Uh, Peter Ed also wrote, "It's a wonderful GP life." in 2020 <laughs> it's christmas even a disheartened doctor has been considering resignation might his guardian angel clarence be able to change his mind oh dear yeah um, everything is, is a bjgp life indeed well <clears throat> there's something to be said about the power of stories um and i think i'm, I'm going to briefly jump in here so the the book i've picked is called why you should read children's books even though you are so old and wise um, and if you haven't come across it, I thoroughly recommend it. Um, it's it's by uh, uh, a woman called um, Catherine Rundell, who's just um, won sort of Waterstones um, sort of, um, Children's Author uh, of, of the Year. So so a lot of these little books have sort of suddenly found themselves back in circulation again, uh, alongside other stuff that she's written. She's been writing children's books for about a decade, but what one of the things that she says is that children's books are written for children for her her age 12 and for her aged now um and the idea being that children's books are not written by children and very often are not childish um so it, it, in 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 essence you know she i mean she quotes uh, uh, corinthians now i'm become a man i've put away childish things um, but childish things uh, according to Catherine rondell includes picking your nose and eating the contents and tantruming at the failure to get your own way. She she mentions in passing that the 45th president of America is childish, but children's fiction has childhood at its heart, which is not the same thing. And she describes um, the, the the kind of almost the, the kind of snobbery that we sort of sometimes will will sort of place on our reading, that we are sort of in a sort of a linear progression. Um, where we sort of, uh, you know, we follow a, a, a sort of a pattern where we 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 start off with Paddington, uh, we we start off with Spot the Dog, progress to Paddington, and and then you're always turning to books of increasing complexity, and you're left you'd be left ultimately with nothing but Finnegan's Wake and the complete works of the French deconstructionist theorist Jacques Derrida to cheer your deathbed. So. One of the, again, so touting the sort of what we've been doing in the BJGP, one of the things that a bunch of GPs and I found very useful, um, just as a as a fun exercise, was we we took a pile of children's books and we 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 actually used them in the same way that children use fairy tales. We 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 took one at random each and we used them to reflect on our professional practice, uh, and then we did the same thing again with uh, with uh, Christmas TV commercials the following year. And of course, one of these is 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 in the current print uh, issue. 
uh, of the BJGP with links uh, in case anybody wants particularly to see uh, Paddington's Christmas surprise uh, or or hear Emma Thompson um, rather hauntingly uh, voice the orangutan that, that a little girl finds in her bedroom. And these and these stories speak to what's happening around us. You know, you can think of Paddington as the world's most politest refugee. Um, you can think of the orangutan in the bedroom showcasing the 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 effects of, of corporate greed on our ecosystem in ways that that directly affects the 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 the, the flora and, and the fauna and the people in those places, but then indirectly affects us through 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 global warming. But one of the things that I found very, very moving was the way in which one of the groups said, well, the orangutan in the bedroom is almost like my most difficult patient. I, I, you know, they, I have this archetype, this, this type of person who, who will, who is impossible to please, is chaos personified, who I dread to see their name on the list, who I know will take 40 minutes and, you know, this this one such example was given where it, it, the the GP does exactly what the little girl does, the orangutan in the bedroom. You know, uh, they ask them, "Why are you here?" And the orangutan and the patient, indeed, you know, both actually say, "Why?" You know, I'm here because um, because of the adverse childhood events. I'm here because um, uh, of all of the ways in which I've coped in my life so far. And 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 then we have the possibility of moving forward. So, the the final thing again, we're talking about redemption. We're talking about the the, the awful world we find ourselves in. And I, I just love this sort of the conclusion part of the conclusion here. I'm just going to read this briefly before moving on. Um, Catherine Rundell writes in two, 2016. My understanding of the world I lived in was upturned by. Brexit, Trump, a sweep across Europe towards nationalism and insularity, terrorist attacks. In the immediate aftermath, adult literifaction did not help. I couldn't make it work. It was reading through the prism of children's fiction that brought back my faith in what books can do. Because what helped were the old narratives told for the benefit of children and adults and anyone who would listen. Icelandic folk tales, grim, they said that this, though it felt like an ending, was not. There has always been vaunting ambition, bitter acrimony, misunderstanding, hunger for power, folly, kindness, passion. Fairy tales have already recorded in their sideways way all of human vice and yet not fallen silent in despair. So, yeah, I'd recommend it. Sounds pretty heavy for a children's book <laughs> type thing. Yeah. Doesn't well, it's it? not. This is this is this is this is this is this is why you should read children's books. It's uh, um, and and why I now look forward to bedtime stories uh, with my girls. I, I think there's definitely a, a lot of truth in that idea that childishness and childhood are, are very different things. And I think if you look at a lot of adult fiction it's entirely childish but if you look at classic children's fiction it's it's about very deep things it's all about how the world works and you, you see all the the big archetypes um 
I, I mean, my, my my father used to say that um, in order to become a successful adult, you have to be a, a successful child first. <laughs> and, you, know, you, you need these stories to to learn what it means to be a successful child. Do you think there's something about reading these books through the eyes of a child, or do you think that going back to it as an adult gives you a fresh perspective on these stories? I uh, um, I wonder what others think, but I was struck. I I reread some of the the Narnia books by C.S. Lewis, um, um, not because of some because I had sort of time and inclination on my own, but because I was reading them to to my six year old, um, and I was just struck just just in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the way in which people are incentivized to to sort of not hear dangerous truths or or to tell lies based on whether there's a promise of a tub full of Turkish delight. You know, it's kind of there throughout these books, there's, you know, you're being prepared for, you're being prepared to sort of dealing with threats. You're being prepared for seeing through propaganda. Um, it, you know, there's uh, even the, the way in which, you know, in the very final book of, of the Narnia series, The Last Battle, there's a there's a sort of sort of hideous character that's an ape um who 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 finds a a, a lion skin and, and drapes it over his friend um the donkey uh, and tries to persuade everyone that this sort of lion-like creature shrouded in in uh, in, in shadow is the sort of is the return of the of the lion king um and and we we see that all around us and it's just amazing to actually see that in a children's story i think it's in at the end of the the voyage of the dawn treader um where things are being wrapped up and aslan tells one of the the, the children that this is their last time in narnia and they won't be coming back again and it, it, it's a sad moment but he, he says to them actually that the reason that you've been coming to narnia that you've been able to do this is not just for fun or to, to have adventures, but so that you can learn to recognise the reality of Narnia back in the, the adult world mm. and to, to take those lessons and, and, and apply them in, 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 uh, in a wider context. Well, we're going to take a slightly less allegorical turn now, I think, because uh, uh, Nada has been reading, it was the night shift before Christmas, by Adam Kay, which which is is, is also a, a sort of a, a, a genre of, of its own, both in terms of both medical and in terms of sort of stocking filler books. Yeah. What, do yeah. you want to tell us about that, Nada? I chose this book because it's the perfect stocking filler. It's a small book, it's short to read, and it's physically small, small in dimension, so it will perfectly fit inside a stocking. But um, Adam Kay is... I think a lot of people will know is a former junior doctor who was specialising in Obzingaini, who gave up his medical career um, and works primarily, I suppose, as a comedian, writer. But what he does in this book is he tells a story of his seven Christmases um, working as a junior doctor, his six Christmases, actually. Um, and what happens to poor Adam is that because because he's rotating around different hospitals um, and he's childless. He's always rotated to work 
on Christmas Day. Um, and like a lot of Adam Kay's writing, it's very funny. It's hilarious at points. Um, the reviews for it, this book, are uniformly, this is hilarious, this is hilarious, from about 10 different sources. But it's also tragic because medicine is tragic quite a lot of the time. And the specialties that he works in, so urology and obstetrics and gynecology, there are a lot of tragic stories in it. So the book takes the form of him recounting lots of different cases, lots of interesting and funny stories, and just giving his take on how he felt and uh, what happened really. So it's just a really enjoyable read. It's not a very heavy read. I think that there's a lot of interesting messages that come through with this. I mean, he's very political. Sorry, Ewan. <laughs> One of my favorite bits of this book is um, he's talking to his dad, who's a GP, and they're talking about the merry-go-round of the different health secretaries that come and visit hospital wards around the Christmas period. And, you know, the wards all get shined up and cleaned up for these visits. And uh, Adam asks his dad, who who is a GP, what the new health secretary is going to be like. And his answer is always the same. They'll be the worst one since the last one. This generally proved right. Personally, I think of health secretaries like Defence Against the Dark Arts teachers in the Harry Potter books. They're obviously going to turn out to be evil, but you'll have to wait a while to find out precisely how. And it's just these little quite funny, but also tragic insights that Adam Kay has. And um, I think that if you have a medical background or even not, these sorts of stories and these insights are just really interesting coming from someone who's worked really hard in the NHS doing um, a busy job. And he ends with a reflection at the end of this book just about the state of the NHS as Adam Kay has his own beliefs and thoughts about how the NHS is running and what the failings are and what we need to do in the future. So he does end a bit on a positive note um, and asks us all to think about um, NHS workers working over this busy holiday period and raise a glass to them, wherever you may be. Um, I have to, I have to confess, thanks Nada, I have to confess again that I haven't read any Adam Kay. I'm so, I'm so poorly read. (laughs) I'll send it to you. It's so small, it will fit in the post. I am, I have, I, you've nearly persuaded me but i have not read i don't like i'm not i'm not attracted to i don't like it's not fair i'm not attracted to books about the junior doctor kind of styly ones and i guess that's maybe slightly because having we've had that experience so mm. never feel entirely like it's one i want to relive <laughs> particularly not that it was that horrific but it never well, but you've certainly painted you've 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 drawn me towards it nada well, there have been three sort of major sort of junior doctor writer sort of leading lights. There's Michael Foxton, who did the bedside stories uh, in The Guardian, Rachel Clark uh, more recently, uh, My Life in Your Hands and sort of subsequent um, sequels um, and uh, uh, Adam Kay. Um, and of course, Adam Kay sort of leaned into it from his sort of previous sort of sideline career as a sort of a musical stand-up comic uh, in which capacity he and I um, in a very sort of collegial way almost came to blows over over the, over the provenance of the cheese halloumi which he insisted was Greek and I insisted wasn't uh, and someone then googled it and found that we were both right and wrong apparently it's Cypriot 
so the thing I find about Adam Kay is he seems to have made a tremendous amount of mileage and have a relatively short career. <laughs> and I wonder if he writes about anything else. And I'm not a, I'm not a subscriber to the you must be in practice to be able to talk about medicine camp and that thing. But he does seem to have been able to generate an awful lot of content. That's something which I, my understanding is he left behind quite a long wee while ago now. Mm. But it's not even that he's writing about medicine or... He seems to be writing very about experientially about what he what 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 happened to him, having not done it for quite a long while. That's the bit that perhaps isn't mm. created a slight pushback for me as well. So he was a journaler. So every day when he came home from work, he would write in a journal. And I think these books are just collections of those stories. So you're right. Some of it is fairly historical in that sense, but it's it feels very. Uh, it feels very current because he's talking about things that he wrote down so soon after they happened that you you know you really do feel that <laughs> he was there it did happen um and i think that a lot of his insights into the workings of the nhs and how wards work how the nhs you know superstructures work are probably still pertinent but yeah i take the point that this was quite a while back and <laughs> he has been possibly eating out on these so, stories for years. What is it that gives, what is it that gives the, the, these things their power? I mean, in, in Adam Kay's sense, there is that idea of the jester, you know, the fool from Shakespeare almost. And um, there he, he very artfully, and we see this as well with people like Phil Hammond and Tony Gardner and, and their, their various, uh, it was that they were the comedy double act struck off and die to, to rhyme with go away and die. Um, and, and their their idea was that they, they would they 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 sell what they were doing rather than just getting cheap laughs out of jokes about genitalia as actually trying to to sort of use sort of comedy and to use the the sort of the the, the craziness of, of 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 the descriptions of what was happening as a way of raising awareness about the sort of the. The, the humanity of the medical workforce and and its dehumanization uh, and in a in a way for me th that's definitely a, a big selling point for adam Kay's work um you know i've almost forgiven him for the for the halloumi uh, especially as he i think he may have pinched my pint afterwards um but you know uh, I, I can't be certain about that it might have been bought for me or for him um the genre there we've got uh, is there's a there's a sort of a genre of small books that people that sort of fairly eminent in various ways eminent crime writers eminent historians um the publishers will go can you do a christmas you know stocking filler you know whether we're sort of talking about medieval historians so we've we've sort of so I've gone into the sort of the mainstream, uh, you know, and the, and the major players, and, and now we're starting to bulk up, uh, you know, you know, the anabolic steroids are out, you. And what have you learnt um, from Arnold Schwarzenegger lately? Well, I mean, obviously we can all learn something from Arnie. I think that's <laughs> the important thing here. He has much wisdom, and he's he ha, he ha, and he's they describe it as his kind of his fourth act of his life that he's been through the bodybuilding, the movie star, the politician, and now here he is as the self-help guru, spreading the love via the various social media. And Be Useful, Seven Tools for Life by Arnie Schwarzenegger is the book I want to bring. And um, mostly because um, 
well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for a self-help book, to be honest. And so I have dipped my hands, dipped my dipped into many self-help books over the years. And so I was quite keen to have a little go at this one. But what I would say is that um, it's he is relentless in many ways, Arnie, um, and Terminator styly, that he just does not seem to know how to stop. Um, but it's actually, and I actually listened to the audiobook for this, and his accent is so thick, it's still quite spectacular. But it does make it very personal. And um, I have... I also have to admit that I don't have a great deal of recollection of quite a lot of the content in detail. I think that sometimes happens with audiobooks. It's not the same as reading, where in particular you get it, I'm not reading an actual book and where I highlight distinct passages which might appeal to me. The audiobook, I, let, I tend to let audio, I try to pick audiobooks that wash over me a, a little bit more. And he's good company for five or six hours. You know, it's good common sense stuff. And I couldn't tell you any one of his seven, maybe, I, can, no, I don't think I could tell you any one of his seven tools, but I liked them all. That's what I think is really important to say. I really did like it. And it gave me lots of time to reflect and think about what I was doing, things I want to do. And probably in the way that a self-help book does, it really just has, it has helped me, you know, you know, a little bit at the time when I listened to it. And I'd be tempted to go back to it. There's nothing that's controversial here. He's very, he's very sensible in, in in all sorts of ways. The one, my one negative might be that he does slip a little bit into the kind of, and if this is a very much an American, perhaps an American thing, but it happens everywhere. That if you work hard enough, your dreams can come true, and I do regard that as slightly nonsensical um, in many ways. But he's so, but it, clearly for Arnie, it did work like that. And I would refer anyone. You know, that actually it's all about hard work and it's got nothing to do with how you were brought up or the, you know, colour of your skin or your gender or anything like that. And it's all nonsense in many ways. Um, so I don't subscribe to that. And I would point anyone in the direction of Michael Sandel's, Sandel's Tyranny and Merit, who's got any doubt about that as well. But um, so he does slip into that a tiny bit, but it's also hard not to be completely won over by him in many ways. He just has, he, he is, he, he is unstoppable. Um, and even there's even a bit where somebody absolutely, you know, there's clearly a surgeon seemed to absolutely do something un unspeakable to his aorta. And he ended up in tremendously unwell and recovering. But the main thing he was concentrating on was as soon as he could get on his feet was a whiteboard of targets for doing marching around the hospital to get himself fit again. And he didn't dwell on the surgeon having ripped a hole in his aorta in some shape or form. He just cracked on with it. So, um, it's, um, I, I would recommend it. I don't don't I don't think your world's going to change, but I think it'd be a brilliant. It's a, it's a great little book, and I do notice it is riding extremely high on the um, bestseller charts. So I think lots of other people have glommed onto this, and oh. it will be tremendously popular as a stocking filler. But I, you know, as a as a man who has read a lot of very poor self help books over the years, and can and not remember to a lot of very good ones, I'm happy to re recommend it. And you know. Um, I commend it to everyone. Gosh, well, the the obvious question is: uh, Army versus Patterson, who would win? I wouldn't like to say, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah in that regard, I, I think that one of the things about Arnie is it's um, I mean, in many ways, there's a certain amount of, you know, so once you get to a certain point of success, it's relatively easy to generate more success. But um, as well, I think that and that's also that's kind of has to be 
born in mind. It's a, you know, it's a, it's just self-perpetuating. You don't become a politician, the governor of California, if you weren't already a movie star. He couldn't have already become a movie star if he wasn't already a, like, a bodybuilder. But he brought one heck of a work ethic. I mean, the man is an absolute. You know, the work He's ethic a is a, he, is a yeah. I mean, I know it seems ironic, and he does talk a little bit about how he his agent told him not to accept the Terminator role. <laughs> he really was. Um, it's it's a near perfect analogy of how he's gone about his career in some ways. He has just been absolutely astonishing. Um, so uh, yeah, he does. It, and he's and it's a bit of comedy as well. There, the funniest bit being when he um, he he tells us about how hard he worked on his accent removal classes uh, and comments <laughs> <laughs> and comments that he wanted his money back. Yeah, yeah <laughs> on that side. So um, it's it's good. I like it, um, and so I recommend it. Did you know? Arnie's definition of pain, which I heard once. Uh, yeah, go on. Uh, pain is the sensation of weakness leaving the body. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> the other quote. The other quote, and I was just looking at one of the reviews. Which, so, so this is one quote I did just pick out. Pain is the measure of growth potential. <laughs> wow. So, I, I, to be honest, I'm not keen on that kind of approach to pain either in that regard. So that was slightly. I have that slight. So I do think that's <laughs> that is not my favourite bit in many ways a bit like it's a bit like they've just to work hard enough you'll be okay and i don't subscribe to that but um this it's hard not to really like it, it you know it, it's really hard not to really like it it's you know it, um and i'm i'm not embarrassed to say so well maybe i'm a little but <laughs> so any new year's Gosh, resolutions I'm... coming out of that do you think <laughs> the seven seven steps no, I'd have to go to be honest, I'd have to go away and Google what the seven steps were because I don't recall Nada. So I just but I just think that's the seven step thing. You just have to, you know, any self-help book, you know, you just have to enjoy it in the moment. And if it, you know, perhaps not worry too much about it radicalizing your life more than anything. You you are you at all concerned that maybe this is a kind of a, a post-hypnotic amnesia that you're displaying? <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you, you're gonna wake up one day and start doing all sorts of uh, uncharacteristic things. No, no, quite possibly. But I, no, to be honest, as I said, I, I, if you look through, I mean, all my, I keep a record of all my fairly public record of all my reading, and you'll find plenty of self-help books tucked away, so in there as well. So, um, I, I remain unashamedly a fan of this one. <laughs> and in fact, I even watched, I even watched Terminator. I was away at a conference the other week, a couple of weeks ago, and Terminator was on ITV two or three or four or something. <laughs> oh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes, it's a, it, it's a it's a classic. Yeah, <laughs> he, he 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 is a classic. Yeah. Man's a legend, and I don't I don't offer that lightly. So, in the last few minutes, I'd just like to throw this open to everyone. So, we've 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 each brought um, you know a, a stocking filler, but uh, do we have any thoughts about the kinds of things that we go for? We've I mean, with this at the moment, there's there's all sorts of things that you can sort of see, sort of sort of piled enticingly, um, you know, from invitations to resist Amazon, ways in which to save the planet through your recycling behavior. Um, there's kind of uh, sort of uh, this uh, sort of excerpts of letters rejected by the Telegraph. I mean, what 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 other kinds of things do do, do people go for? I mean, I, I'm, I've... I mean, I go for lots of different things. I read pretty widely. I kind of political stuff, smart thinking-y kind of books. But um, I've tried to delve into some classics. But I, I, don't, I just, I will pick up anything I fancy as well. I you know, have, will read the occasional, what will you, I certainly read novel, fantasy, science fiction from time to time. Um, and running books, ultra inspiration. I'm really, I'm really quite 
fairly eclectic in my reading. Um, and I would just, for me, that's, I, I speak, speaking to medical students, I'm always, I usually when I have a, do a teaching session, I always, one of the things I always ask them is what book they're reading at the moment or to tell me about a book. And I'm always slightly horrified at um, how few are reading at all. So for me, I wouldn't even think twice about what I don't, I wouldn't even pause to recommend a type or a genre or anything. It's you've just got to pick up what you fancy. And sometimes if you do a fair bit of reading, my tastes vary. I, you know, do a, you know, a fairly heavy, dense book and I will try something light and fluffy and short after that as a bit of a palate cleanser. But more than anything, just doing some reading, it just couldn't, I just think it's wonderful. And, um, it doesn't matter what you're reading as long as you're reading something. The palate cleanser is really important, especially for those of us who have to read reams and reams and reams for work. I remember that as doing a PhD for the first time, I had to pick up, you know, so Warhammer, military, sci-fi, <laughs> trashy novels just to get myself back into reading. Um, what, uh, what, Nada, Ben, do you? What, what are your what are your thoughts? I, I feel like I should be reading more self help books, possibly after uh, <laughs> or listening to more self-help books to enter into a state of hypnosis possibly um but no i agree that um i go into phases of reading a certain type of book possibly non-fiction or political type books and uh then i find myself in a state of great despair and then i need something to shake me out of it so that's when i turn to something maybe a bit lighter but i, I agree it's good to read lots of different genres and I certainly enjoy reading fiction books quite a lot. I like very dense, long, thick, complicated storylines of families. I think, you know, hundred years of solitude type <laughs> type of books. So oh, that's, wow. that's bit my of, kind bit of, of thing. Gabriel Marcia Marquez. Yeah. No, I like uh, complicated family dynamics. <laughs> I don't know what that says. Possibly means that I do need to read some self-help books. <laughs> what about you, Ben? Oh, yeah, I um, I I read a lot of nonfiction too, um, but I, I like a good story, and it, it, if it doesn't sound too pompous, I suppose I I'm attracted to books that contain truth, um, and it it makes me think actually of the the, the book you shared earlier, Andrew, um, by Catherine Rundle, that um, if you walk into a high street bookshop. Um, a lot of the the nonfiction books there are basically my plan to fix everything, whether it's um, you know, healthy living or saving the planet or fixing politics or you know wh whatever it is. It's kind of my scheme for sorting everything out, and. There's obviously a, a lot of thought gone into those books, and, and I haven't read most of them. Um, but it, it, it does seem to me like it's kind of a, a grown-up's way of trying to duplicate what you have in the really good children's fiction. You know, where you you have a a whole picture of the world in which things make sense, um, and in which you can see how stuff is meant to work. You know, the, the good guys do okay, the bad guys get theirs in the end. And so I think really if, we, if we're thinking self-help and you know, look, looking at these bigger pictures, then you know, any of the, the, the classic 
fiction and hey why not young people's fiction as well yeah well i i i have to say we we should use i i think we should we could tap into our children's authors more maybe to fix the fix the nhs so i was uh, I, I was at a it was a national bookshop week event you know one of these weeks to celebrate sort of bookshops standing up against the the internet-based mega corporations and um the author Minnie Gray was signing her books, you know, absolute classics like you know, um, it, uh, Traction Man and, and The Greatest Show on uh, on on Earth. And uh, yeah, obviously, I've, I've I've written about this a little in, in in the in the December BJGP. But you know, we we got talking about you know fictional devices we could use to fix you know, consulting times, and we we were sort of what we we thought you know how. How could you do it? And and I, I think there's a strong allegory here. You know, if you have a sort of a some sort of time barrier where where you 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 can spend as long as you want inside the consulting room, but no time has passed outside, you still have a fundamental problem of a prematurely aging general practice workforce. What you need is a magic wardrobe uh, where when you go in, you can spend an entire lifetime in the consulting room. But when you come out, you're as young as when you first went in, ideally a child. Thank you all. It's been a it's been a fantastic. Well, I think we may possibly edit that down from the, the roughly hour that we've been <laughs> chatting, uh, and, and, and perhaps at some point in the future we should do this again, but maybe over a coffee or a beer or something. Um, but uh, it's uh, lovely to talk to you all uh, tonight, and I and I hope. Uh, that uh, our, our readers feel inspired to 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 gather their gather their friends round over over a, a drink and um, and sort of bore each other uh, or enthuse each other with uh, tales of all the little books that they've read over the winter months. Brilliant! Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, cool. Andrew. Thanks, Andrew.